Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, hello, everybody. It's uh, Script Shop After Dinner. Ooh, yeah. I we, like this version of us. I do, too. It feels nice and relaxed. It does, doesn't it? There's no, like, mm, maybe I can sneak in some snacks and a couple of recordings yeah. or anything. Yeah, wolfing down M&Ms in between questions. Right, which is always fun in between questions. Remember that one time when I was, like, just, we were doing a promo and I was just, like, chomping yeah, Cheetos or something. Eating, like, peanuts or something. Yeah, yeah, and you were like, come on, Allison. Are you working or what? <laughs> Yes, I was doing two things at once. Hi, folks. This is Jack. This is Allison. And uh, we are here uh, hosting Script Shop. We just got done eating a delicious meal that Frank's wife, Teresa, made for us. Mm-hmm. Frank, what all did uh, what all did Teresa have you bring in uh, into the show for us to eat that we're all sleepy over now? A bunch of food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she made ravioli. Uh-huh. And uh, there was salad and there was uh, like artich- spinach and artichokes that we that spread on the bread. Yeah. And I'm, uh, all right, I'm going to... Night, Probably gonna just night, tilt the old seat back everyone. here and um, stretch your bellies out. Frank, you probably have good some... Jack. Jack, 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 Jack. Frank, Jack. you probably have some questions you want to ask, right? I'm just, I'm just gonna... This is where Frank seizes yeah. the show and yeah. yep. replaces Jack. <laughs> it's tired in here. Jack was no good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys for tuning in. This is our show about uh, scripts and screenwriters who write said scripts, right? And why they wrote them, and why they're the only person in the whole history of mankind that wrote this screenplay. That- well, that's yeah, for sure. For I was going to agree with you on that. That's for sure. <laughs> we love getting writers on the show and talking to them about why their work is important and the journey that got them to this point. So if you're interested in being one of those writers, you can submit your script if you go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Yes, and uh, we are definitely on the internet more so than just this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you look up Script Shop Show, that's easy for me to say. Let's try to say that again. If you look up Script Shop Show on any of those uh, social media sites, you can find us and you can friend us and you can follow us and uh we can interact in some way mm-hmm. that's the beauty of technology <laughs> yes. technology which oh. can be terrifying in many ways which we'll discuss with this week's writer who is mary alexandra stiefvater she sent us a 14 page not too distant future virtual reality warning piece yes yeah a bit of a harbinger yes i like it that gets into a lot of stuff dealing with technology and what the impact it, it may be having on us currently could be and also and also grief a lot of a lot of grief fueling things in this yes so we'll be talking uh, with her about all those big bummers sure to come your way just by staying tuned to the ever delightful script shop uh, speaking of uh, ever delightful, you know, we are on Patreon and uh, we are happy to take your reenies and roonies if mm-hmm. that's something that uh, you're interested in doing. We're thrilled about if you want to do that. And you actually, jangling pockets of reenies and roonies. I was just looking it up and we have a few new supporters. Yes, tell us who we, we got. Thank. So uh, we've uh, Cheryl Allen is still very much uh, in our world, which we appreciate very much. My dad is contributing now. <gasps> your dad? Which is very sweet. Yes. I was not expecting that. That's very nice. Daddy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The parents are coming in clutch on this show. That's very sweet. Uh, Heighton Davidson has given us money in the past. Uh, Also, there's someone on here named LC. I don't know who you are. 
uh, outside of the fact that you're called LC. Uh, Is that like LC, like E-L-S-I-E? I know, it is the letter L and the letter C. Cool. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you to them. Mark Renshaw, a former guest on the show, is uh, has chosen to support the show financially, which we think is wonderful, and also Simply Scripts. Uh, has uh, sent some Reenies and Roonies our way as well. Mm, thank you. Which is very nice. We appreciate all of that very, very much. Uh, yeah, that's cool. We got five patrons now. That's incredible. And maybe my parents will hand me some more cash for the show next time <laughs> I see them. Do you think that your parents and my parents are in some weird competition now to see who can secretly support the show more? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being in high school all over again. My parents are um, big supporters of the Sendependent Film Festival. Oh, yes. Actually. Which by the time this episode comes out, we will be in the midst of. So this episode releases August 29th for us. This is hitting right when we're hitting. Yeah. So Frank, Jack, and I all work on this independent film festival, Cincinnati's most exciting and luxurious film festival. (laughs) I've never used that word. Keep going. No, you're in this now. Keep going. That's the voice. Oh, man. It is a film festival full of delights and pleasures. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> We're basically the three of us lose our minds in the course of a week, welcoming over a hundred filmmakers and two thousand over two thousand festival goers to Cincinnati. We all worked our butts off in mm-hmm. two thousand and seventeen and eighteen to make this happen. Now here we are, 2019, and if you were actually talking to us on the day this episode is going to release, we'd sound like this. Hi! <gasps> What's going on? <gasps> what do I need to be? What's here? Okay, I'll go over here. Hi, nice to meet you. How's it going? Okay, I got to go. <laughs> so um, look up Independent Film Festival online. Script Shop is hosting all the screenplay readings that are part of the screenplay speakeasy, yes. where we do live screenplay readings as part of the festival. Because, of course, that's kind of in line with what we do here, mm-hmm. supporting writers and getting happy their be, work out into the world. Happy to be doing that. Uh, if you're if you're interested. Uh, we should probably uh, get to uh, Mary, because she's been... She's been waiting. Mary Alexandra Stiefvater. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm great. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for uh, sending us your work and coming on the show. Just delighted to be here. (laughs) Did we, is it, is it, is it Mary Alexandra? Do you want to go by that or? Uh, Mary Alexandra is in fact my first name. (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay. I have a sister named Julianne who always goes by, I mean, Julianne is her official uh, full first name. I think there's a lot of us um, double double first names out there. It's not as uh, in vogue anymore, but it was uh, when I was born. Yeah. So <laughs> we're floating around. <laughs> is that a, is that a, is that a family name? Is there are there are there roots to that? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, not so much the Alexandra part, but the Mary part was uh, both my grandmothers. Oh, so. well, that works out. That's yeah. really cute. Yeah. What? Are, where is your last name? What's the heritage around that one? So it's German for stepfather. So it's sort of mm. in the German um, Netherlands, um, Austria region that it sort of uh, exists. And uh, there are apparently a lot of stiefvaters also in the Midwest, in the Wisconsin area, a um, few in New York area, and then out here in California. So, Do you guys have a club? Um, I believe there is actually one on Facebook. <laughs> what do you mean, like a Stiefvater club? Yes. You know how there's sort of like uh, ones for different last names and people get together and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, we got the last name, you know, are we wow. related to distant cousins? Yeah. yeah. Um, I bartend and sometimes I'll meet people who have like the same last name as me or the same last name of somebody that's close to me and I'll be like, hey, this is that's my husband's last name because he and I have different last names. This one guy once was like, huh. Cool. 
and just completely <laughs> disinterested, which I thought I'd have a better reaction. He was not into it at all. So Good grief. Maybe I wasn't maybe. looking so hot that day. No, or maybe just he was having a bad day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be any number of reasons. Really. Yeah, he could have been a few beers in or something. That's right. He was wasted. Yeah. <laughs> He couldn't even see straight, let oh, alone no. tip me well. Oh. <laughs> Mary, where are you calling us from today? I'm in uh, California in Los Angeles. Great. How long have you been out there? Uh, let's see. So I, I was born here in California, and um, and then I went to UCLA. So I've been in Los Angeles area for a, a good chunk of my professional life. Yes, very cool. Have you been a writer the whole time? Um, well, I don't know that I was able to call myself a writer until recently, but I have been writing my whole life. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's one of those things that, and, and I don't think I'm the only one, but if you don't necessarily come from a, um, a writer, a writing degree or an English literature degree, um, sometimes I think you're a little reticent to call yourself you know, something that you don't have a professional degree in. Yeah, sure. I totally get that. Um, yeah, and and I came from a theater background. So for the better part of my life, I've been calling myself an actor. And like many actors, um, you know, you care about story. If you invest your, your life in, you know, in the creative arts, you, you really care about storytelling and what we tell our our world, what we tell our children, what questions we want to bring up. And I think it just sort of prompted me to start writing and, you know, you show it to a couple of people and they go, Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then you show it to a couple more people and then, and then suddenly you're so invested in it that you are emboldened enough to say, yeah, I, I am a writer. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know what everybody else's experience, but I've run into other people that have had something similar where they were just a little afraid to, to say the word out loud for fear that, you know, what if, what if the work that they were doing wasn't received well, or what if they weren't as good as they thought they were. But truthfully, I, I think the more voices we have contributing to the way we tell stories and the stories that we choose to tell, I think the better. So yeah. for, for anyone listening out there who, um, who really wants to write and, you know, maybe doesn't have the degree in it, but really feel strongly about storytelling, I'd say do it. Absolutely do yeah. it and tell people that this is what you want to do and you are a writer. How long did it take you to get to that point? You know, were, have you had you been years. writing for years or? Yes, years, years. I mean, I've been writing since I was probably like seventh grade. I think was sort of the genesis of it all, mm -hmm. but I didn't I really didn't start calling myself a writer until up until the last like 10 years or so. Yeah. Was it, well, and you know, if, if you feel like you coming from a more acting background and wanted to maybe hold back on before you started using other titles, but I mean, if you are in an acting background and you've got experience telling other stories and getting into characters, you know, you're seeing and learning firsthand how many different people have stories. And if nothing else, a character in a film and you're coming up with maybe whatever backstory that, you know, that's something that you're working on. You know that how many stories are out there and you know the importance of, of, of perpetuating them and sharing them with people. That that makes total sense. Right. Um, yeah. And I just think it's, it's one of those things that's really important that we encourage more young um, voices and even, you know, people that maybe have some experience in their life, but haven't sat down and written their experiences 
the the older our generation um, expanses get, I think we have like five generations, six generations living right now. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to tell those stories all the way from the very young, you know, up to the very old, because it's important that the world has a sort of collective um I don't know what uh, understanding quite fit, but yeah, understanding yeah. exactly of, of what it's like to be human all, right. all, all down the line. <laughs> well, especially if you're trying to write about like current experiences there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's just like, uh, you know, current history so frequently goes undocumented. So being able to put timestamps on things that are happening currently mm-hmm. in terms of sharing it artistically, I think is really important because sometimes it can resonate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what, so let's say you're talking about writing stories because you were just getting hooked on being able to like really share stories. Do you know what the very first story was that you really started writing and crafting as a writer? Um, let's see. Oof. I have to go back a little ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go back I to seventh grade think- if we need to. Uh, no, I mean, like I've, I've for years I've been writing poetry, um, and that was sort of my entryway into the writing world. Um, and then, sort of as I, I expanded, you know, in different directions, um, career-wise, I started writing feature length and then short scripts. So, I think one of my first scripts was actually about the. Uh, 1960 Winter Olympics in Squaw. What? Squaw Go Valley. on. Do you tell? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's actually one where um, we're still sort of developing to be made. It's it was a feature length. I don't know why I started writing a feature length because that's one of the harder ones yeah. to do. But um, I just I I strong I heard in the, your intro you were talking a little bit about um, you know how how does a writer find their work? And Mm -hmm. I really sort of strongly believe that the work finds the writer, that the idea comes to you and it's in, you're the one that's meant to share it with the world. You're the one that's meant to sort of sit down, transcribe it and send it off into the world. Um, and this idea, this sort of picture of, um, a skier coming down this mountain, was the first thing I saw and I wrote backwards from there. And I should say that I've skied Squaw Valley my entire life. Oh, so okay. I knew that mountain really well, but I didn't know the history and the story behind it. So as I started researching that, I became more and more passionate about telling the story. And that's sort of how I, I came to write it. And, you know, like many writers sat down, wrote out the um, index cards taped them to my wall, like sort of plot pointed where I was going and then just sat and wrote. And I wrote for three weeks straight and it was, it was sort of an all consuming experience. Mm. And then once I finished that, um, that sort of like joy and the release of, of having finished something that, that you loved so much, I just started crying. Aww. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that feeling of euphoria that I think writers get when they when they feel like they have in fact touched upon the very essence of why we're human and why we do what we do is is a very emotional experience and it's it's um, you know it's like a drug you yeah. you want to feel that all the time which is why we do tell stories 
Well, there's, there's, there's a cathartic element to it also where you've got this thing inside of you that you've now, you know, formed and, and, and released out to people. And, and now it's like I, I, I've, you, there's a feeling of accomplishment there, right? Of course, of course. And, but it's that it's a sort of joy that you feel in having accomplished something that was difficult for you to do. But that just there's a lot of love and belief in humanity that goes into writing. Because we tell stories because we believe it's important for people yeah. not to feel alone. Yes. And when you struggle, you know, in your life going through different elements, you think, oh, God, I'm so alone. This is not I'm, – I'm never going to get there. Nobody else is ever experiencing anything that difficult. When, of course, everybody experiences things that are very difficult. Yeah. And so in telling stories, we tell them so that we, we can connect to that, that – collective unconscious that that greater part of our humanity yeah finding commonality whether through pain or through joy or whatever yeah forging forging yeah. connections through through having things in common i i, I that's one of that's a incredible yes 100 percent right incredibly universal yes, feeling very human yeah yeah it's yeah a defining element you know now that you have expanded out into writing so you have been a performer for a very long time and you've been writing now for at, at least well i'm going to say at least 10 years um mm-hmm. Are you finding that you're able to get more work in both of these types of specificities that you're still performing and you're still writing and developing more of your own content or writing for others as well? Yeah, and that's sort of the marvelous thing. And that's, you know, uh, part of what I love to encourage other writers to do. Um, The work kind of begets more work when people find out that you can do it. They're like, oh, hey, I have a story I'd like to tell or I'd like to do this. Could you show me how to do this? And, um, you know, part part of uh, the joy is is showing other people that they too they too can do it. It's you know it's not an exclusive profession. Yeah. Anybody can do it who wants to sit down with a pen and a paper. You can sit down and and write and. No, all the better if you have a keyboard because you can do it faster. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of pulling up a typewriter from the, right. from the 1960s <laughs> the <typewriters>, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting right to work, Sonny. <laughs> yeah. So you busted out a pen and a paper or a computer or a typewriter from the 1960s. Uh, right. It's to, part of the, you know, it's part of the feeling. That's option. why it took her so long. Sure, it's an option. Uh, to, to write this script that you sent us called No Place Like Home. Now, this is a, a story about uh, people who are dealing with... With grief and loss, loss. And, and and what they're willing to do to try to fix that feeling um is it's it's a sci-fi story it's a story about like we said grief and loss is this sort of in the vein of what you normally write or is this a little more outside of the bubble this was completely out of nowhere for me mm-hmm. i um i don't normally write a science fiction but um it's not an entirely foreign genre to me. I've done a few films as an actor in science fiction. It just, it, I think when when writers sit down, they don't think of the genre. They just think of the story. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you you look back and you're like, oh, it actually falls within this genre that I you know that I wrote this in. But um, no, I just sat down and and this one came fast. This one I wrote within a day. So, um, you know, for, for writers out there who are daunted by the prospect of it taking too long or not having the time, you know, in, in between all of their other commitments in life, it doesn't, you don't have to commit vast sums of time to writing. You can do a little bit at a time, or you could give yourself a day and see what comes out, you know, don't be afraid. 
So in this script, uh, we've got we've got a few people. Uh, there's Teddy, who has gone to this organization that's uh, run by a Mr. Brown. And Teddy, uh, it, it, it's all kept sort of vague at first to sort of reel the audience in as to what, what sort of uh, plans are being made here. But Mr. Brown runs this organization that uh, essentially helps replace a person who has passed away. You've got Teddy there, and we come to find out that Teddy has lost his wife, uh, Rianne. Uh, and then there's also uh, Jennifer and Kate, who have lost their young son, Dominic. Uh, and Jennifer is very much on board with trying to get Dominic back, and Kate is not. Right. Uh, and ultimately, you sort of come to find out this isn't so much about any kind of robot replacement or just having somebody to talk to. It, it's it's more of a full-blown... Virtual reality Yeah, you're setup. strapped into a chair with feeding tubes, and this is you're sort of trapped in this world for the rest of your life just to sort of get a taste again of having having this person back. Yeah, it's... Um, Ooh, it's really fucked up, it, actually. It's, it's a bit of a downer. <laughs> like you throw your life away to have back somebody who's lost theirs yeah. for whatever reason. What uh, it, I guess from terms of, in terms of the having suffered loss and and, and the experiencing grief, how, is that something that you're drawing? Yeah, from what in was your it that inspired life? you? Because you said this one just kind of like showed up yeah. for you. And what wh- where did the grief element pop up out of? Well, so I had recently lost my mother, um, and I was sort of dealing with that that loss. And and in fact, I had lost about a half of my family members in that last ten year period. And my mom, my mom's passing was just, uh, it was really the, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I found myself sort of angry as, as happens in grief that we hadn't really, nobody had prepared me for what this was going to feel like. And I'm not sure that you can ever really prepare people for, for grief, but I had never even heard people discussing it. And that sort of became something that I, I had stored, started to look for in wanting to tell another story. But simultaneously, I then, I, I read a lot and I read an article about Silicon Valley billionaires um, funding scientists to break us out of the matrix legitimately. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, as I read this, I'm like, what? They're doing what? <laughs> and then I started to get angry because I'm like, there are people that don't have clean water or, yeah. or homes and, and we're spending money to do what? And, um, and, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the sort of need for certain laws to protect um, consumers in regards to what's happening in, you know, in the tech and, um, internet world and and they're sort of falling on deaf ears right now and we don't have the protections in place oh like in terms of privacy and stuff right so all of those things sort of coalesced and and i just sat down and it just flowed out of me Mm -hmm. and this is what this is what kind of came from that it's this is like a true um a true product of everything that was swimming around in your life at that point there's there's Mm -hmm. the the emotional uh, life of your mother passing and your family passing. There's the more immediate technology, things that are swimming right in front of your eyes all the time. And the, the emotional response to that, too. Yeah, the passion mm-hmm. for that. Because there is, we have basically this big uh, corporate character in the story who makes this point that actually this isn't really about connecting people back to their loved ones. It's really about 
they've kind of uh, implanted these suicide fail safes for the company where if the people in the virtual reality world step outside their homes with their VR beloveds, they just die. And then the company gets all of their assets at that point, which is why they keep making money is because people are dying and leaving all their worldly possessions to this corporation. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's written in like the fine print of the the long user agreement that we all check the accept box on that nobody really reads. And it's just sort of buried in there. And this company gets to thrive uh, because of that. Right. Um, do you believe what the Mr. Brown character says when he when he talks about he, he's got a bit of a speech in there about Do you grief? mind if I just read it? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Of course. Okay, so Mr. Brown on page 12, listeners, he has this big moment that kind of is like the moment of why this whole story is a little bit churning. And he says, like I said, grief is a terrible thing and most people rarely stop in life to read the fine print. They just click to get their instant app or free software or too good to be true deal, signing away their rights in a keystroke. They willingly turn over their lives. We are merely there to make the remaining time on Earth comfortable and collect the rainwater after the storm, so to speak. In terms of yeah, him talking about what a strong motivator and how lazy people are, I mean, that's that's coming from from your sort of reaction and frustration to, to uh, the, the stuff you were talking about with, with the tech companies and everything. I, I think we don't read these user agreements, and I think we should be questioning the world that we live in. You know, whichever choice you want to make, that's your right to make it. But um, it it is incumbent upon, you know, the the authorities, the the companies that we we do business with, to tell us the truth about what they're doing. And I don't know that we're always getting the truth, um, at least not in a way that we understand. And I think it's important as as citizens that we we are able to protect ourselves as best as possible and make the choices that are right for our lives, whatever those choices may be. But you should have all of the information to be able to make the most informed decision. You know, it's so interesting you say this because in my former life, I worked um, for it's most commonly called an IRB, an institutional review board. And what these people do is that basically in like new technologies, new devices, new medicine, et cetera, there's got to be people who ensure the safety and informed consent of the patients or people who are consenting to be a part of these things. And one of the things I enjoyed most about that work was talking about the ethics because what was ending up happening is that in medicine or in terms of like research studies, they would develop apps to be the medium for a lot of the studies or they would test the effectiveness of an app on a person. And, um, you know, there was a lot of like data protection questions we had to ask like sure maybe this app is designed to help somebody take certain medicines at certain times of the day but sending by sending them an alert which has its own slew of questions but at the end of the day it's really like but where is this information going that's personal medical information where is it being stored is it going to be shared what if there's a hack Mm -hmm. how is all of this data protected and it was my job to ask these questions that sometimes would be very frustrating to like a researcher or a, a development team but it was really about making sure that the person on the other side of that was actually being protected mm-hmm. and then informed of what the risks and benefits could be of this situation. Right. And that's an incredibly important thing that that doesn't happen as frequently as we need it to. I mean, that's that's very, very important, explaining to people the sort of ethics of what they're doing and 
and getting a con- informed consent. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting little warning in here, too, because also near the end of your script, you're talking about the, the Mr. Brown character at one point is talking about how this is a right to die state and people are allowed to, you know, make whatever decisions they want. And that's, you know, you're talking about people being free to make their own decisions, but also this idea of, you know, some sort of organization or company or whatever that then could potentially exploit that freedom that people think is 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 innately okay uh, is a whole other level of warning that I think a lot of people don't necessarily consider. Uh, agreed. Absolutely agreed. It's, I, I just really feel like we're not getting the the chance to make the best decisions because we're not we're not given the information in a way that is full and complete and in a way that we can understand yeah. because there's you know even in those privacy agreements if you ever sit down and read one and I'm going to warn you it'll probably take you a, an hour at least to read it but how many people really understand legal jargon you're going to have to if you're going to read one of those and understand the implications of it because the english language has double entendres. It has the space between sentences that are implied, but if it's not written down specifically, you could get into some, um, you know, uh, misunderstanding regarding what you're signing. You know, it's just interesting because it's like the technology world and just the world in general seems to be progressing so much faster than the human race is in general right now it's almost like we as a species can't keep up with the technology that's coming out so all of these things are just like boom 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 and people are figuring out potentially how to exploit others during this process do you ever do you ever just think about this like if we're not even capable of reading the disclaimer or the legal contracts that are associated with most of these things should we even be dealing with them I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, at some point, I, I feel like lawmakers really need to step in here and, and do this because it is a job of a government to protect its people. And, um, you know, m- most ordinary individuals do not have the sort of time to investigate every company that they, they do business with, every app that they do business with. So they're trusting that, you know, the um, the government or the watchdog organizations are doing their job, but that's not always the case. Um, if there's lack of funding, there's lack of oversight, there is, um, you know, things fall between the cracks. So it's very possible that the, the world is progressing a lot faster than we are able to keep up with our laws to protect people. Mm-hmm. We should, uh, let's read a little selection from, uh, from your script. If that's okay, no place like home. We're going to uh, pick this up at the bottom of page seven, folks. So in addition to the story of Teddy and his wife sort of having this ability to reunite because of what this company uh, is offering, whether for good or for ill, the other story between uh, Jennifer and Kate, as far as getting their young son back, uh, we're going to read the scene at the bottom of page seven uh, that where Jennifer and Dominic are having, uh, they have reunited. Kate has sort of left the picture because she's so frustrated with the terms. She's talking to her wife or partner and saying, hey, I I don't like you're throwing away all our money on this thing. And Jennifer's saying, well, we're going to get our son back. This is this is why wouldn't we want this? And Kate's like, no, I think the the price of this is too high. It's not real. And and so now we're with left with Jennifer and Dominic. Jennifer's gotten what she wanted. And the idea of at what cost. Uh, We're going to pick that up here from uh, the bottom of page seven. Uh, Mary Alexander, if you want to hold on just a minute. okay? Okay. 
All right. So, uh, Frank A. Uh, well, listeners, I guess I should lay out who's playing who. I'm playing Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack's going to be reading for my young son, Dominic, which mm-hmm. honestly, Jack, you do look like you could be my young son. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank's going to be doing all of our action headings, and it doesn't matter what he looks like. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frank, take it away. Interior. Child's bedroom. Night. Dominic is eating sour gummy worms while Jennifer reads him a bedtime story. And they lived happily ever after. Mm. Again. It's time for bed. No. Yes. We have a full day tomorrow. Can we go to the aquarium? Jennifer looks distressed. No. We are going to build a fort through two rooms, and then we are having a belated birthday party. I want to go to the aquarium. We can't because um, we have a birthday party planned for you. The next day, then? We'll see. Jennifer's phone rings. It's Kate. She silences it. Is Kate coming to my party? Jennifer looks at her wedding band, unlocking the phone as she goes to the contacts and blocks Kate's number. Let's tuck you in. Like a bug in a rug. So tight you can't wiggle out. Mm, I love you, Mom. I love you so much, my sweet boy. She turns the lights out as she leaves and then turns to watch him. Okay, so that's in uh, the scene. That's that scene, and uh, uh, Mary Alexandra, there there was an interesting thing that I thought about as I was reading this entire script, and specifically as it relates to this story of Jennifer and Kate, and then trying to get Dominic back. They lose each other. Jennifer and Kate lose each other when they get Dominic back, which I think is an interesting sort of echo uh, reaction to, to to the events in this script. Uh, yeah, and I think it's also how two people deal with grief differently. You know, some people can't let go of the person that they've lost, and other people need to move on, and they need yeah. to help their loved one move on. And, you know, um, grief, and especially the loss of a child, can do horrible things to to you. It, sure. It's one of the most incredible losses that anyone would ever experience, and these two characters just deal with it very differently, but the love still exists. It just right now they can't quite process it. Well, in in the in that order of 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 emotions that one experiences through the grief process, in theory, if you're going through it all, the last one is acceptance, and it seems as though that Jennifer isn't She's there. She's not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you we'll know, see if Jennifer gets there. <laughs> yeah. If you don't mind me asking, you know, when you were writing this, what what part of your grief were you in with your mother? Um, so I, I had come to the acceptance stage, but, and then this is one of the things I don't think we talk enough about in terms of grief. Um, grief is a sliding scale. So even when you get to the end of those five stages, you still could wind up somewhere in the middle again. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's like that. I mean, when you experience a great loss of someone that had an enormous impact on your life, someone that you loved immensely, you never really get over that loss. You just sort of move forward as best you can. And it gets easier with time. But um, I, I had sort of come to the understanding that the Kate character had come to. But I certainly understood where the Jennifer character right. had come from because I'd been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I'm curious about so your your this script has two different stories going on. We've got the the Kate and Jennifer story getting their son back, and then the Teddy and Rianne story where this guy gets his wife back. By the end of the script, there's a bit of a grim resolution to the Jennifer Kate Dominic story with the that's got the the clause about how in this VR world you can't ever go outside of your house. Uh, for uh, on ultimate penalty uh, yeah. of death, and it's kind of an illusion too. Right, like it's their way to to make people agree to end their life. Right, basically. Well, and if you feel like you're in such a real reality, and then at some point you're going to think everything's normal, and yeah, you may just walk out of the house. And yeah, you got to you, you signed the thing saying you wouldn't do it. Like you know, I can see the company having this evil company having like a well, you know. Sorry that it's such a good simulation. We can't control what people do. But I'm curious about with with the husband and wife story. Why? I'm curious about the way you constructed it. Why you're telling these two stories yeah. about loss? Right. Um, I think there is something interesting in uh, in the loss of a spouse and the loss of a child. They feel very different. Um, the the sort of uh, and they also like these two characters, Jennifer and Teddy sort of parallel each other, right? They want, they want different things out of getting their loved one back. Um, so I think sometimes in terms of telling a story, you sort of tell sort of juxtapositions, male, female, um, child, um, spouse, um, and, and where ultimately they wind up in this tale uh, is similar to um, to each other, but I, I sort of approach the same argument from two sides. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it is special to have like such different kinds of. of ugh, this is like a bad way to say it, but flavors of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, that's the word well, that came up. Different kinds of love. The grief is yeah. is born out of two different kinds of love, right? Um, and you know, when you were talking about that there were a lot of your family members passing away. It's interesting to me that you didn't write your mother specifically into this story. Were there other personal relationships that were really impacting you as well? Yeah, but I, I think sometimes in the in the process of telling stories, it's important to to look at the sort of universal story rather than necessarily the specifics of your life. I think each each writer each artist, um, they, they take the essence that they have lived and they infuse it into a story that is, uh, something that more people can understand and relate to. You sort of have to have an entryway into, into, into a story to really understand, um, you know, to how to connect it to a lot of people. And I think me losing my mother, um, is not necessarily the uh, same experience as somebody who lost a child. Like a child is, your your parents are supposed to pass before you are. That's supposed to be the way it happens um, for uh, human beings. But a child to go first is, it's just an incredible loss. And um, and to lose a spouse, my my dad lost his spouse. So. I sort of watched him deal with what it was like to lose the person that he'd chosen to spend his entire life with. And and I guess maybe I, I did write Shades of My Mother yeah. um, into it 
it just say approached it a, a different way from right. a different angle. <laughs> You're looking at a bigger story, a more connected thing than just like your own personal experience here. I wanted to give people an entryway into, you know, something that maybe they could relate to really easily. And, and that also with the genre too, I, I specifically stayed away from the sort of, um, the heaviness of the futurism and the technology. You don't see it as much in this script because sometimes that can scare people. They, they wouldn't necessarily pick up the genre because they don't really know how it connects to their life. So if you just tell a story of, of somebody who's lost someone that they love, we all experience that. It's just in the fine details that you start to see, oh, yes, this is actually a sort of futuristic tale. This is a, a cautionary tale. This is, right. this is something we need to start investigating if we're okay with in this world. Right. You know, speaking of the genre, <laughs> the next question is, how much Black Mirror do you watch? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I love black. I, I love Black Mirror. I love. Um, Me too. I loved Orphan Black. I love. Um, there's a there's a lot of really wonderful stories that are now being told um, in this this sort of uh, realm, which is good. The more, I mean, again, the more we tell these tales, yeah. the more uh, diverse our voices are in in telling you know these stories. I think the better for for everybody. Um, have you continued to write things in this genre? So my next one was actually more of a drama. Um, and, and, uh, and then I have started an experimental film as well. So I, I try to sort of diversify. I'm, I'm pretty sure I will come back to this genre again because I actually really enjoyed, I enjoyed it a lot more than I realized. So I think there's just a lot of things that you can do within the sci-fi genre that, um, that you maybe couldn't do in, let's say, romantic comedies. Yeah. <laughs> there's just there's a lot of fun things that you can do and a lot of dark places you can go, which is really exciting as a writer. Well, yeah, and and and, and that genre is so inherent in trying in in crafting metaphor and uh, you know some sort of maybe a more overt message uh, or you know undertones of some societal issues. I think that that genre in and of itself is just more inherently uh, embracing of that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Have you guys started any production on this short, or do you have plans about producing it? We do. We actually have um, an Emmy-winning director, uh, Kurt T. Jones, is going to direct it, uh, along with um, uh, producer Mindy Rosario. Um, I'm producing as well, and we have part of the budget uh, funded and raised. We're just finishing up the the last-minute details on it. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to go into production probably in a later part of the fall. Cool. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. How many days do you think this shoot will be? Um, It's, it's what, 14 pages. So uh, I'm guessing it'll probably be about a three day shoot or so. And then some post-production afterwards, um, color correction, um, sound ADR, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, it should be pretty fast to shoot this one. As somebody who's familiar with the acting side of things and you've written this and if you're going to be involved on a production level too, is there a thought of, you talked about maybe wanting to dial back the heaviness of technology and just sort of tell a story and let the let the high tech whatever be a little more window dressing. I, I would imagine that that sort of helps when it comes to production of not having to get too deep into something that looks really futuristic. 
Yeah, and um, you know, obviously that helps in the post-production because you do a lot of, of that work in the post-production, which is where you spend a, a large chunk of your budget, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of sci-fi. So, um, yeah, but uh, again, you know, that was how I wrote it. Uh, when you when you go into production, it really becomes a collective uh, group discussion. So. I let my, I really trust the other producers and um, director that I'm working with. So I let them make decisions. And I really feel like everybody who touches, you know, the project makes it better. So there are things that I might not have been able to see uh, when I started writing it or that, you know, as you convert the medium from the page to the screen, there are sort of different aspects that need to be paid attention to that I didn't necessarily need to pay attention to when I was writing it. But that's, that's where having, you know, yeah. a great team to help you really, really does pay off in the end for the viewers. What are your plans with the short after it's produced and after you have the final picture all locked in and everything's good to go and you're ready to show it to the world? What are you wanting to do with it? Um, well, I, I think my team's going to really sort of make a decision about what they, they want to do too. Um, I'm presuming we'll probably take it to film festivals and, um, launch it into the world that way. Um, so I guess we'll see, um, you know, I try not to be limited with what, you know, it could become, uh, while we're working on it and just wait to see how it how it pans out, what, what happens. <laughs> you know, if you do release it into the wild world of film festivals, mm. it's just there... so funny. You bring it up. Do we know about any film festivals <laughs> that would be we... interested in something mm. like this? Mm. Let me think. Let's see. Let think. I really cannot Maybe something think. in the Midwest. Uh, yes, okay. Mm. Something about Cincinnati is two redheads <laughs> and Frank <laughs> go to Cincinnati. <laughs> Um, you should definitely check out our film festival, Sendependent Film will. Fest. Yes, it's so much fun. Yeah, then you can come into town. We can watch it. That could be that could be very cool. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun. I I kind of envy you. You guys have you have raviolis. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what we do in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we eat ravioli and have fun. <laughs> Make work with our best friends. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that actually though what everybody loves doing? I mean, when you when you make something, you know, you invest your time and your energy. You want to work with the people that you love working it's, with. It's and true. Yeah. Yes, it is one hundred percent true that everything we do is made so much better by the fact that we're all actually friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> much better. I love it. So. Uh- uh, I was going to say, Mary Alexandra, if uh, if somebody's heard this and they maybe want to get uh, involved in late stage as far as uh, supporting or just trying to learn more about your work, what what's a great way for them to uh, get in touch with you? Oh, great! Well, um, you can find uh, you can find us on Instagram um, at thirty first underscore republic. Um, you can also email us at info at thirty first republic productions dot com. And, um, yeah, we'd love, you know, we'd love to have anybody interested who, who would like to, um, see this, this brought forth, give us a, uh, buzz and contact us. That'd be great. No, that's extremely cool. Thank you so much for taking the, thank you for sending in your work and taking the time to talk to us and seriously, good luck. You're on, you're on the precipice of, of really bringing this thing even more to life than it was before. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. And next time, save me some raviolis. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see. These are going to get put down pretty quick. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Well, that's Mary Alexandra. That's cool. That is, that's extremely cool. Yeah, it's nice to be able to explore the tech element with the grief lens behind it, too. You know, because it's like 
there's we're talking about a thing, but underneath the thing, there's a feeling. Yeah. And so it all kind of filters together. And I'm excited to see the short yeah, when it's too. done. You know, pacing always plays a lot into it. And I think it'll be really nice to figure out what this team's particular tone is in terms of pacing and their um, just what they linger on and what they blow through. And that's the beautiful nuances that really make short stories sing. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's cool, too. She talked about the, the idea of different stories meaning things to people and, and the, the variety of stories that we have on a human level. When you mentioned Black Mirror, so the, the story that she sent us, No Place Like Home, uh, ends on a bit of a more tragic note. Oh, yeah. But there's other ways to tell stories like this that, that aren't necessarily downers. My, my favorite Black Mirror of all time is that Haley Atwell episode from season two called Be Right Back, where mm-hmm. she loses her boyfriend, mm-hmm. he dies, and then she ends up sort of throwing herself into this computer program where you can chat, and then it turns into a phone call kind of thing. Yes. And then uh, they send the robot version yes. of him to the house. Yeah, and she ends up putting him in the attic, right? And it's wonder. It's great. It's, it's so not sad. It's, it's weird and it, it's well, off-putting. It's like she has to learn how to use the tech because yes. eventually she puts him up in the attic and they go visit on a birthday, right? right? But it's like she has to come to terms with how you actually... And on a cultural level, how yeah. you deal with this rapidly evolving technology that yes. we've got. Yeah, that is a good episode. And then there's also what uh, I think a lot of people would say is the best Black Mirror episode, or at least the most positive one, which is San Junipero. It's a little more of a recent one. Yeah. And it's people dying, putting themselves into computer programs and interacting beyond the from such, beyond. I can't even deal with like how incredible that show is. I know. Really. Well, and, and, it, and, and, you know, hopefully it's inspiring beautiful stories like the one that Mary Alexandra sent today. Well, you know? sure, because I think you're, you're resonating. I mean... The themes in the script that she sent us, themes of loss and, and, and trying to get something back and forging connections and maintaining connections, it's all stuff that uh, I think we can all relate to on a very, yeah. very universal human level. That's right. So if you're interested in relating to us on a very, very universal level, yeah. get on social media. Oh. <laughs> That's a weird turn. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, But, you know, truthfully, without taking the tech too weird, we'd love to talk with you. And so we yeah. love talking to people about the stories that we share. We love talking to the writers about why they're sharing them. And then we just appreciate connecting with you, listeners, about these things and what you think about them. So whether you see us in person at the Independent Film Festival or <laughs> you're connecting with us on social media, please feel free to stop by and chat because we love the conversation. Yeah, thanks, guys, for listening very much. We appreciate your time. Please uh, leave us a review if you can. Spread the word. Tell a friend. Retweet things. We, we'd love all that. Mm-hmm. So until next time, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Script Shop.